The recording that you're about to listen to is a talk from the City Bible Forum. We would appreciate you respecting our copyright by not making copies of this talk or altering the content in any way. We hope that you find the material beneficial. If you would like more information on the City Bible Forum, you can visit us on the web at citybibleforum.org. Well, James Packer, uh, maybe you recognise the, uh, the man on your right there, James Packer, uh, rich, uh, one of the richest people in Australia at the moment. James Packer keeps getting himself in the news. He's uh, now got himself engaged to Mariah Carey and suddenly that makes his photo in the paper a little easier on the eye. Uh, he's building a casino at Barangaroo and that gets him in the news a little bit. And not long ago, I think to his great credit, he came out in support of the AFL player, uh, Adam Goods. But I was reminded this week, as I was sitting in a, in a conference room in Brisbane with one of those defibrillators on the wall, I was reminded about his dad, Kerry Packer, also in the picture, who at one point got in the news, but I think in a way that none of us would really want to get in the news. It was a day in the midst of a polo game, at the time Australia's uh, richest man. It was the day when Kerry Packer suffered a massive heart attack and died. In fact, he died several times that day on the polo field and as they, they rushed him to the hospital in the Ambo, several times his heart stopped on one occasion for more than a minute. And the defibrillator that saved his life that day, it was new technology at the time, and partly with the money that Kerry Packer donated, they've now become standard issue, well, all through our city, in Ambos, on the walls in schools, in, in office blocks, in public buildings. But some months later, Kerry Packer was interviewed about a range of things, but right at the end, the interviewer, Ray Martin, asked him about that experience on the polo field. And Kerry Packett, normally a very reserved, private man, did something astounding. He turned and looked right down the barrel of the TV camera and he, and he wagged his finger, if those of you oldest me can remember it, and he said, I can tell you for certain there is absolutely nothing there after death. It was completely black. There is no God. There is nothing. That's a powerful testimony, don't you reckon? I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about what really does lie on the other side of death. If anything, you know, maybe it's just a case that the, the lights turn off, the machine powers down, and that's the end. What really lies on the other side of death and how can you really know? I think the fact that that's a, an issue we ought to think about is why uh, many people take an interest in what are called uh, near-death experiences. Yeah, we've got a picture. Uh, those like uh, Kerry Packer who for a moment, a, a moment are dead in the ambo, their heart stop or on the operating table and then come back to, to life and the, the widely reported stories are those who come back to tell of not an empty blackness, but a voice, uh, someone beckoning them along a corridor towards a warm, welcoming light. 
Uh, the book, The Boy Who Came Back from Heaven, tells the story of 11-year-old Alex involved in a terrible car accident, but awoke after a two-month coma with a vivid story about angels and voices and being sent back to Earth with a mission. It's on the New York Times bestseller list for two years, in 2011-2012. Uh, since then, Alex has appeared on Oprah. Huge interest in this kind of thing. Now, might be the cynic in me, but I wonder if those kind of stories, they're attractive because, you know, they kind of say to us, hey, hey, relax, everyone. It's going to be okay. Particularly because the people who report these experiences, well, some are religious and some aren't. Some believe in God and some don't. Some have led good lives, others haven't. Yet this sort of story seems to tell us, hey, no matter who you are, how you've lived, she'll be right. In the end, on the other side, it'll all pan out okay. But of course what we're not told is that some people come back from the operating table to tell quite different stories, frightening nightmarish encounters that give the distinct impression that, well, maybe things won't be okay. Maybe there's something even worse than blackness and nothing because they they never seem to get the the book deals or get to appear on Oprah. But it does raise the question, well, which story are you going to believe? What are you going to meet? And even more important... Well, how do you know? What kind of evidence? What would you be willing to pin your eternity on? Now, for my money, my biggest problem with all these stories is in the very name itself, near-death experience. Get rid of that for now. Near-death experience. You see... If you want to know what death is really like and what's beyond death, have these people, have they really experienced it? I mean, they've come close, they've come near, but have they they been properly dead? I mean, if you wanted to, you know, find out what being married was like, would you talk to someone who, who almost got married once? You know, who, uh, you know, the day before, they almost got there, decided to call the whole thing off, who had a, a near marriage experience. Now, are they the expert that you would consult on what the experience of, of living in a marriage was like? See, then, I think I actually want someone, something more than the guy who's blacked out on a polo field for a minute. Nothing but blackness. I mean... How do we know that Kerry Packer just didn't have boring dreams all the time? I mean, I don't want to stake eternity on that kind of evidence. Do you? Well, if you've got that passage that Lachlan read for us earlier from John chapter 11, one of the four biographies of Jesus, this episode, I reckon, really addresses these kind of questions. Follow along with me. The story begins, if you look at the top, uh, we pick up the story with the news that Lazarus, a close friend of Jesus, Lazarus, is dying. Jesus' disciples are some two days' journey away and Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, send for Jesus to come quickly. And 
in, in John's Gospel, if we'd read it up to now, we'd think, well, that makes sense. Mary and Martha, well, they've brought their knee before Jesus. They've seen him heal other people. They know that he can do it. Jesus keeps meeting people who won't trust him, even his own disciples. But these two, these two sisters, their brother is dying. If anyone can help, they rightly pin their hopes on Jesus. And so Jesus, of course, when he hears the news, drops everything. He immediately comes to the bedside of his friend. Well, actually, if you're following along in the story, if you look in the little verse number six there, this urgent message comes, his friend on the brink of death, and Jesus, he doesn't hurry to save him. Instead, he deliberately stays away for two days. And it's not even like Jesus, you know, miscalculates the situation, that he thinks he's got more time, that, you know, maybe the illness is not so serious, that, oh, Lazarus, he's a bit of a whinger and a hypochondriac, maybe. No, it seems Jesus deliberately doesn't lift a finger. It's only when the news comes that Lazarus is dead that Jesus even begins his journey. Now, why does Jesus do that? quite a confronting thing I think if I was making up the story about Jesus and wanted to sell Jesus to everyone this is not the way that I would write it well in verse 4 I think he tells us a little four there Jesus says this sickness will not end in death no it's for God's glory so the son of man that's Jesus so the son of man may be glorified through it Jesus has held back, has deliberately let his friend die so that somehow through the death of Lazarus, something is going to happen that will give us a glimpse of who Jesus really is, what he's come for. So important, he's actually let his friend die so that this can happen. How somehow for a moment we're going to glimpse something of his true glory. So watch for that as the story unfolds. If you look down in, in verse the little 17 there, uh, finally Jesus arrives and it's to a scene where, well, well, all hope is gone. In everyone's opinion, Jesus has clearly got here too late. Do you notice how Mary and Martha that both greet Jesus? If you look at the little 21, Martha says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Now keep your finger there and look at the, the very bottom of the page, the little 32, When Mary meets him, she says, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus gets it in stereo. Mary and Martha, each word for word, the same thing. Where were you? I'd still have my brother if you'd come. But now, well, it's just too late. And if you look down at the 37, the crowd too, they they wonder at what might have been. They say... Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Now, do you hear what they're saying? They're saying, well, Jesus could have saved him. But now, well, death has come. And hey, not even Jesus can do anything about that. No one in the story is prepared, are they, for for what's about to happen Even as Jesus asks for the stone to be rolled away, Martha objects. She's she's more worried about a bad smell than the possibility of a resurrection. And the thing that happens then, 
Hey, um, at my home, uh, when I speak, I can't even get the dog off the lounge with my commands. He just kind of looks up at me with this, this defiant look back. But when Jesus speaks, dead people get up and do what they're told. Lazarus come out, and I don't know, can you picture it? Through the, the cave entrance, a, a dead body suddenly sits upright and comes obediently stumbling out of the tomb, still wrapped in the grave clothes. It's a funny story in lots of ways. I mean, in the story here, Mary and and especially Martha are impressive. In a crisis with their brother dying, they look to Jesus for help. They know he's God's son. If anyone can do something, it'll be him. And even when their brother dies, it doesn't shake their confidence that God on the last day will raise him up. Did you hear that in the, the dialogue when they meet Jesus? They know that. They believe in eternity. They believe in a resurrection beyond the dead. But you see, that's actually not enough. There's something even more that they need to understand, not just that there's life beyond the grave. In fact, the reason Jesus orchestrated this whole situation, delayed his coming, is because there is something so important for Mary and Martha and for you and I to really get here. It's there, in the, there at the little 25, if you look. Jesus tells them, I am the resurrection. I am the life. So he doesn't say, hey, I can explain the way to get there. I can provide you with some evidence so that you can believe there is a life after death. He doesn't say, I'm just here to point you in the right direction. He's saying, I'm it. I'm resurrection. If you've found me, if you have me, if you know me, you have eternal life. The big point Jesus wants to make here, the thing that Mary and Martha must understand only in knowing Jesus, can you actually have eternal life? Look at the 26. Jesus goes on and says, Uh, Stay with it. Uh, He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Only if you have Jesus can you be confident. If he has hold of you, well, nothing is going to stop him from having you for eternity. You will not slip through his fingers. You see, in the story here, as amazing as this miracle is, a man three days dead, come to life. To be impressed by the miracle with Lazarus is to miss the point here. In the end, it's just a picture. It's a sign that ports us forward to something far greater, far more impressive, far grander, far more glorious in the resurrection of Jesus himself. I mean, if you think about the story, Lazarus has only been resuscitated, if you get what I mean. He's been uh, brought back to mortal life only to one day die again, like Kerry Packer on the polo field. Death has simply been postponed for a while. He will still have to face it. In the end, what Jesus does here at the tomb of Lazarus is actually a very unimpressive and second-rate miracle compared to what he will do himself. Not resuscitation, 
but resurrection. Not to postpone death, but to defeat it. Not a few more years of life, but to pass through death to resurrection life forever. And that miracle is the great miracle that he offers you and me. You know, one of the, I think, really strange things in this story here in John 11, it actually used to trouble me, but now I actually think it's the, it's the key to really getting this story. It's down at the little 35. Uh, just before he raises Lazarus, Jesus, they approach the tomb, Jesus weeps. And then at the 38, a, a second time, he and Martha walk to the tomb and their, their conversation stops as Jesus is overtaken with emotion. But if you think about it, why do you reckon Jesus would weep here? Is it because he, he's about to lose his friend and will never see him again? Well, that doesn't seem right, does it? He knows what's about to happen. Is it for Martha and Mary in sympathy with them? Well, again, that doesn't really seem to make sense either. Jesus knows what is about to happen. He's about to reunite them with their brother. Now, the word of the little 38, therefore, moved deeply with emotion, isn't the idea of feeling sad, but of outrage, of loathing, of fury. I take it Jesus is angry here, is moved with emotion at what death does in our world. At the way, because we live in a world that the Bible says has ignored God, a world where death rules. It's a world where death does this all the time. Takes brothers from sisters, sons from fathers, mothers from daughters, wives from husbands. He's angry because death is not right. And maybe you've actually had that feeling too when you maybe perhaps you've lost someone close to you, uh, some deep sense within us that this is not how things should be. This isn't right. It's as though we instinctively know we have some sense we were made for a world different to this, a world without death. Because this does not feel right. And you see, that's the whole reason that that Jesus came down from heaven into our world, not just to stand beside his friends at a funeral and shed a tear with them. He came to fix the problem. That's what Easter is about. He came to be stretched out on a cross, uh, to deal once for all with the problem of death. I take it Jesus moved with emotion here, has his own death in mind. A death unlike any other death. For in his death, he will suffer the trouble that you and I are in with God. For living our own life without him, he will pay the penalty for us. So if we come to Jesus, we we can find God's forgiveness. It's a funny story. I mean, even the the whole near-death experience thing. Or you have someone in this story who would get a gig on Oprah, who does have a a book that would be on the New York uh, Times bestseller list. Lazarus. Not dead for a couple of minutes, but three days dead. 
But it's interesting in the story, what do we learn about his experience in the tomb? What those three days were like? Did he see a bright light and hear a voice, see a tunnel? We're not told a thing. I mean, I'd like to know. I've got questions I'd like to ask Lazarus. I take it we hear nothing from Lazarus because he is not the great authority here. He came near, but Jesus... Jesus claims to be the authority. He says, I am the resurrection, I am the life, and he will prove it when he comes back from the dead in his resurrection. Not resuscitated, but having triumphed over death once and for all. Hey, maybe it won't happen for you when you're out playing polo. But maybe it will happen unexpectedly in the midst of life. But whenever it happens, when the lights turn off for you, what happens next? What's going to happen next? Jesus says you can know for certain he will be there, the Lord of life and death. And where you stand with Jesus now determines how he will respond to you then. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can know with certainty about life and death and eternity in knowing your son, Jesus. We thank you that he so cared about our our broken world ruled by death, that in love he came and in his death and rising defeated death for us. Heavenly Father, in the busyness of life and a coming long weekend, give us the time to think and to pause and to ponder the things that matter in life and to think about the things of eternity. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so does Jesus still raise people back from death to life today? Uh, do these miracles happen and, and does God use these signs today to prove Jesus is real? Okay, so does Jesus still raise people back to life today and uh, does, does he do that to prove to people now? Yeah, um, uh, I guess my answer to that briefly would be to say there would be nothing to stop him doing that if he wanted. Uh, but I don't think uh, we see that. We certainly don't see that recorded in the Bible. And I take it that this isn't really a proof. It's really a wedding of our appetite for the resurrection of Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus is the once-for-all proof that Jesus has defeated death. So I think once we have the resurrection of Jesus, then the great event that we all need to consider and take seriously has happened. And, and that's the thing, yeah, that you can't really top Yeah, I've got no idea because I don't really know what happened for Kerry Packer in the time after that or have any personal knowledge. Yes, I couldn't answer that at all. Okay. Yep. Uh, Jesus, you said, gets angry. Uh, has he given in to the dark side or is anger actually good? Uh, okay, so I need to repeat the questions for the tape, don't I? Uh, so Jesus here gets angry. Has he given in to the dark side? 
So, yeah, Star Wars analogy for those that understand that. Uh, or is it okay to do that? I think it's, it's right to get angry about wrong things. And there's something wrong, for, wrong with us if we don't get angry about some things. If we see people bullied and victimised and we're indifferent to that, I think there's something wrong with us. Now, how we express our anger and what we do with our anger is a separate question. We need to think carefully about what's the helpful and best way to, to express our anger. But if you're not feeling angry about things that aren't right, then that's actually a pointer that things aren't right within you. That's a very good question. Is there any significance about the removal of the grave clothes at the end of the passage? Yeah, if you, if you look at John's story in John 11 here with Lazarus and then you look at the resurrection of Jesus, you notice in John 11 all these little details. You think, why, why are these in the story? So the, the stone must be rolled away and someone must help Lazarus out of his grave clothes and the whole thing just seems to be a bit messy as he stumbles out. And you get to John 20 at the resurrection of Jesus and you think, why is he telling us all these details here? Because he tells us that the stone's already rolled away. No one needs to do it. And when they arrive in the empty tomb, before they meet the risen Jesus, they see the grave clothes neatly folded, like with no effort and with no one needing to help him, Jesus has, has escaped from death and overcome it. And so I think they're just little, little pictures in the story that you get to the, the resurrection of Jesus, you think, okay, I'm being reminded again that Lazarus was a small, pale imitation, an unimpressive miracle compared to the great miracle I really need to take attention to, which is the resurrection of Jesus. Okay? I've had a couple of other ones we can go for off the mm. phone. Um, does anyone have questions from the floor before I jump to those? Yep. Yeah, that's a good question. So in Luke's gospel, there's a parable. So the question is about, in Luke's gospel, there's a parable about um, a rich man and a poor man. And the poor man is given the name Lazarus. And so is that is that a, somehow a connection to this story? It's hard to know that the name Lazarus was relatively common. And so it may just be that Jesus is telling a story about a Lazarus has nothing to do with this Lazarus, or there may be some kind of connection, uh, because we've got a Lazarus who came back from the dead in both the story, the parable, and in real life here. Um, it, in some ways, it doesn't really connect. There's no, nothing here to suggest that Lazarus is a poor man. Um, yeah, that kind of thing. So it's a, it's a good, intriguing question. I, think, I don't think there's a connection, would be my guess. Yep. Hmm. Hmm. So, so is it a question? Okay, why don't we chat later about ans- other answers and we'll take questions. There's question time. Is that okay? Yep. Good. So one quick last one yep. from the phone. Uh, can you explain why I still shouldn't fear death? I mean, I'm going to die one day. Uh, I'm not looking forward to that day. Yeah, okay. Uh, so the question is... Um, uh, can you explain why I still seem to fear death? Um, and particularly if, say, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm someone who's put my trust in Jesus. I've got a confidence that I'm going to meet him on the other side, but I still find the idea of death scary. Well, I think there's lots of uh, right reasons to be troubled about death. 
Uh, some deaths are more painful and difficult experiences than others. Uh, death uh, may not be a pleasant experience. And you might also be concerned about uh, your loved ones and others. If you were to die, he would leave behind and you'd be worried about them. And I think the fact that those things, sh- those things should trouble us because death's not great. Death is one of the great problems in our world. Death is not a good thing. And it would be great, it'll be great to be in an eternity to come where death is gone. So I guess it's an opportunity in those things to trust that God will be with us, even in the experience of death. Everyone else will leave us, but he will be with us. And uh, to have a confidence that God's, God's bigger than we are when it comes to the people we may leave behind. We're worried about how, how they'll get on. It's a reminder for us in the end that uh, for all that we are, we, we can't control the future and look after the future, and we need to put that in God's hands. The recording that you have just listened to is from the City Bible Forum. For more information about City Bible Forum events in your city or to order other talks, please visit citybibleforum.org.